We're going to be talking about Jesus. Of course, we're in our new series on encountering Jesus at a well today in John chapter 4. If you want to turn to John chapter 4, we will be in that text all morning. I do not think we are deviating from John chapter 4. You can see it's 42 verses. It's a lot. Uh, and our encounter with Jesus is at a very mundane location. The in interesting thing about John chapter 4, the introduction to this story, and John chapter 4 has, I would say, one of the most quoted verses of Jesus or quoted sayings of Jesus, of course, about worshiping in spirit and in truth. Uh, but the beginning of the story is much more mundane than that. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, as we think about this, this encounter that he has with this woman. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had uh, heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, and he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that jo Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. I want to note again at the very beginning of this story, uh, the humanity of Jesus, weary from his journey, he has, he has approached this uh, communal well that people went to draw from, a, a, probably a, a, a relatively common meeting place for various people. Of course, he's there. Because he's tired. He's tired and he's weary and he's sitting by the well and he's just probably so dirty and sweaty as many of us would be. He's been walking in the dust, of course, all throughout the day. And so he's just sitting down and resting like a normal dude. And, and we think about the significance of Samaria. The, the story goes out of its way, and John is recording this, to make sure you understand this is at Samaria. Sychar, this Samarian town. And that's significant, of course, as we go through the story. As we go to the next few verses in 7 through 9, Jesus turns to this woman. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city, setting the stage further. They've approached this well. Jesus is sitting down. He's tired. He's dirty. He's sweaty. The disciples, they go get food from town. So Jesus is just sitting there by himself. And this woman approaches. And Jesus asks, for, asks her for a drink. The woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, we, of course, maybe you're familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The, the whole point of that parable of the Good Samaritan is this line. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The Samaritans were sort of the other. We talked about in our Bible class this morning, human groups. We, we create divisions. We create uh, these human, these categories that we have. And the Samaritans were those people over there. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans, of course, are those who remain behind, while the descendants of those who remain behind in the exiles, uh, the Jews were taken over to Babylon and Assyria. People stayed behind in Israel. Uh, the Babylonians and Assyrians imported uh, more people, and it, this, their descendants became the Samaritans. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. These Samaritans, they're the worst. They took our land, they stayed where they shouldn't have stayed, and, and now they're here. And, and so this woman who approaches sees Jesus, immediately recognizes that's a Jew, probably thinking, oh man, now i got to deal with this Jew. And then Jesus asks for, for a drink. And this woman's like, what? What are you doing there? Why? Right away, we're introduced to an idea that's going to come up over and over and over in our, in our encounters with Jesus. Jesus didn't really care about human, con human divisions and social convention, about the ways that people think about one another. Jesus is not about that. Here's this woman. She has arrived, I'm tired and thirsty, and I suspect he cares more about his thirst than the woman's background at this point, although we'll note in just a minute, he definitely knows what's going on with this woman. 
But she's just a person at this point. Because Jesus doesn't really operate that way. And we're going to see that over and over, not just the Jews and the Samaritans. Nobody likes the Samaritans. But then we have, of course, he eats with the tax collectors and the sinners. And the people in society that, that are not popular, that most people don't like, they're the other people, they're the, the heathens, they're the pagans, they're the worst people. Jesus doesn't care about any of that. He is just going to interact with people as they are. And so we keep reading in John chapter 4. He has this switch, this seamless switch from talking about earthly water, physical water. Hey, I need a drink. I'm, I'm thirsty. To spiritual matters. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Switches to third person, right? He's talking about himself. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. We saw this with Nicodemus, right? Jesus immediately goes into this weird theological, spiritual thing. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus immediately has this sort of his brain breaks. Wait, that doesn't work. How's, how's a man going to be born again? That makes no sense. Here the woman does the same thing. If you knew who was, ask, who was asking you, you would have asked me for living water and I would have given it to you. And immediately the woman's like, well, you don't have anything to draw water. How are you getting this living water? It doesn't make any sense. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water, that is in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to drink water. Again, the, the confusion of making the spiritual leap. Nicodemus couldn't make that transition. Jesus just sort of goes into it seamlessly. This woman who is being told this deep spiritual truth, take this water for me and you'll never be thirsty again. And she automatically applies that, interprets that. Oh man, then I won't have to come back to this well. All right, I won't have to make this journey anymore. Thinking about it in a very physical way, literal thirst. If I have the water from him, I'll never be thirsty and I don't have to make this journey anymore. But of course, we know that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus makes this transition without, and, and he does this so often. He makes the transition from physical matters to spiritual matters without really calling attention to it, without making it explicit. Oh, by the way, I'm not talking about physical things anymore. Now I'm talking about spiritual things. And he expects his audience to keep up, or at least if not to keep up, He's looking for people who are thinking about things in a spiritual way. Looking for people who are willing to go beyond the mundane, go beyond the physical, into spiritual truths. And so we keep reading as, as we go through this story. Jesus makes it clear, I think, to the woman as we transition. I'm not talking about physical things. John 4 verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus, letting the woman know, okay, if you'd known who it was that was asking you, you would have asked for living water. Still doesn't get it. All right, well, well let's make it a little more obvious here. I'll show you some of my supernatural knowledge. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Well, that's an understatement. Yeah, he's a prophet. But it's interesting, her first question. So this woman, she comes to this well. 
there's this random Jew sitting here. He asks her for water. Right off the bat, a little weird. Why is this Jew talking to me? Jews hate Samaritans. Then he starts talking about this living water, and it makes no sense. The living water that means I won't be thirsty anymore. Can I have some of that? And then he lays this on her. Oh, by the way, I, I know everything about you. Obviously, the person that you're with right now is not your husband. You've had five of them. And her first question, realizing that she is talking to someone of supernatural knowledge, is what? Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. The first thing she asks is a theological question. Settle this theological, theological dispute for me. You guys, the Jews, you say we need to worship in Jerusalem, but we've always worshipped on this mountain. I see I have a prophet here before me. I'm not going to ask about my future or about anything like that. Settle this question for me. And the thing that I want to note that's interesting about this, her sins, this woman who he's talking about her sins, right, in their husband situation or her mar past marriages, it's not like she's ignorant of deeper matters. It's not like she's unaware of the, the important questions. This is an important question. I have a prophet before me. I have somebody here who has supernatural knowledge. What should I ask? I'll ask about worship. What, what is pleasing to God? Where should we be worshiping? And I think it speaks very well of this woman who could have asked about any number of things, but seeks spiritual truth. Because that is what Jesus is going for. Time and again in the encounters with Jesus, he's going for and looking for and seeking people who care about spiritual matters, as this woman clearly does. We keep reading in John 4, verse 21, as he transitions into now a discussion of worship, answering her question. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem we worship the Father. You, I don't think meaning her specifically, but you, I think, meaning the Samaritans, people like her, people of, of her nature who are seeking spiritual truth. You worship what you do not know. That's clearly Samaritans. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Several times in the Gospels, before we go on in this, John emphasizes, uh, Jesus emphasizes rather, this is in all of the Gospels, but Jesus emphasizes the Jews' special place in God's plan, in the purpose of God. There's that woman who comes and, and asks for healing and he has the whole business about, well, I'm, I'm here for the Jews, right? I'm here for, the, for this. But Jesus is already looking forward to something different. It's true, of course, that the Jews were the original people of God, right? He called Abraham and the nation of Israel and all the stuff that happened in the Old Testament, ultimately bringing us to Jesus. But even as Jesus is saying this, you worship what you do, don't know. We worship what we know. Salvation's from us. He's looking beyond to a time where that's not going to be true. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, as opposed to who? The false worshipers. will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. As Jesus is seeking in his ministry, people who will care and prioritize and seek spiritual meaning, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. All of the business that we've been going through. Business about her husbands, business about the living water. He's leading her to this ultimate conclusion. 
I'm the guy you've been waiting for. And here's what I have to say. You said he'll tell you all things. Here's what you need to know. The hour is coming when the Father will seek those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And note, again, the transition from physical matters, the question ultimately that she asked, where should we worship? To spiritual priority. Well, it's not just about where you worship. And, and the hour is coming where it won't matter where you're worshiping. You're going to worship in Jerusalem, going to worship on the mountain, whatever, that's fine. Because the priority is how and why. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. So we go, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. John 4 verse 27. What does this woman do with this information? And then we're going to skip to verse 39. We're going to come back to the middle section here, but we're going to skip around a bit. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away to the town and said to the people, as she should, she does the right thing here. She's encountered the Christ. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town and were coming to him. Then there's this business with the disciples we'll read in a minute. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, and here's the important transition. This is the transition we're going for in every life that we teach. Everybody that we teach, including our children, our grandchildren, but also new converts, people we're teaching in the world. This is what we're going for. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. They were making the transition from, I'm listening to this woman to the actual source, Jesus. So ultimately, what do we learn about Jesus in this encounter? Again, the question of the series, Encountering Jesus. What do we learn about Jesus? Who he is, what he cares about, how he prioritizes things, how he talks, how he, how he acts. Ultimately bringing us hopefully into an understanding of two things. Number one, who it is this person that is our savior. But two, how do we be like that? Number one, the idea of inclusion and involvement. Note first that Jesus made it a priority, and this is sort of a throwaway line at the beginning of the story, but I want to return to it. Jesus made it a priority to involve others in the work that he was doing, rather than doing it all himself. In the first verse, and we sort of just glossed over it, because the story does, he wasn't baptizing. His disciples were. He wasn't doing that at all. He was making his disciples do it. And in the verses we haven't read yet, but we'll end with, in 31 through 37, he makes sure the disciples know they're not the only workers involved in the ministry and they're doing, they're participating in his work and Jesus wants them to continue to participate in his work. Jesus is trying to involve the disciples in what's going on. Second, note again, as we said, that Jesus is unconcerned with social convention or, or history or the way that society thinks about who to include and who to talk to. The Jews should not have been talking to the Samaritans. But Jesus did. Jesus didn't care about this woman's background. The disciples, of course, were surprised in the way that John phrases this. They're surprised not that he's talking to a Samaritan. They're surprised that he's talking to a woman. But again, Jesus doesn't care. Jesus is not going to be bothered by what other people expect from him, by what other people are, are thinking. 
Jesus is going to talk to who's in front of him on their own terms because they matter. Samaritan and a woman. And not only did he have a one-off conversation with this Samaritan woman, he went and stayed in a Samaritan town for two days. Why? Because all the rest of them matter too. Jesus didn't care about who he should or shouldn't be talking to. And as we think about ourselves, right, we're thinking ultimately of becoming like him. How intentional are we about including other people in our service to God? How concerned are we about social convention and human divisions? Who are we including in our evangelism? And who are we including in our work? There are people in this room that you could involve in the things that you're doing spiritually. And there are people in our community that maybe others don't want to talk to, others don't want to be involved with, that you should because Jesus would. Right? Jesus is not going to let what other people think prevent him from reaching out to others. The second thing we note about Jesus here, spiritual truth above the physical tradition here. Jesus was already laying groundwork for a religion that transcended physical boundaries and limitations. First, in offering something better than physical water, it's not just about the physical water. There's a deeper spiritual thing going on here. I'm going to offer you this water and you'll never thirst again. Not, not physical thirst, but spiritual thirst, moving beyond the mundane matters of life. We see second, 421. Worship's not going to be tied to a specific location. Yeah, you should be worshiping in Jerusalem, but the hour's coming where that won't be the case anymore. You worship wherever you want. It's not about the physical location. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. For, in 423, now he's also thinking, we're not just going to include Jews. Now we're going to include anyone who meets the certain criteria. What's the criteria? You're willing to worship in spirit and in truth. You're willing to pursue deeper spiritual meaning, the truth that Jesus has to offer. And it's not just going to be the Jews anymore. 435, of course, we haven't read this yet, but we will in a minute. Jesus knew that there were many who were ready to hear and believe. Many that others could have been talking to, but they weren't. Many that others would overlook. Many that others would not be willing to engage with. But they're ready to hear and believe. But we let human ideas get in the way. Jesus cut through the false expectations, human divisions, and taught to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is what? We'll read it again. 4.23 and 24. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers. Who would be the false worshipers? Those who let human ideas dictate what they do. That's the false worshipers, right? Those who are not willing to engage on Jesus' spiritual truths, who are not willing to submit to his ideas about right and wrong, who are not willing to pursue God on God's own terms. Those would be the false worshipers. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Even now, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We keep saying we'll come back to this. We'll end with these verses, John 4, 31 through 38. The disciples come back, and Jesus point about how they're going to be involved in this work. Ultimately, how we are going to be involved in this work. The disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. 
But he said to them, I have food that you don't know about. Again, the seamless transition, not even making it plain. They're talking about physical things. He's talking about spiritual things. I have food to eat that you don't know, not know about. The disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Stop thinking about things. Stop prioritizing mundane physical reality. There is a deeper spiritual reality all around us. The yearning in our soul for meaning, for inclusion, for participation, for involvement, for purpose. Jesus offered the woman. If you knew who you were asking, you'd ask for water, living water. You'd never thirst again, meaning and purpose. Here he says, I have food. Not physical, mundane food. The thing that's, that nourishes my soul is what? To do the will of him who sent me. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See, the fields are white for harvest. What are they seeing around them when he looks up? They're seeing the Samaritans. They're seeing these people that for generations they have rejected and ignored. People that society, their society would say, keep them over there, those people. Look up and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor Others have labored and you have entered in to their labor. This is the truth of all evangelism. That we, as seeking the lost, we as teaching hopefully spiritual truths, are participating in the labor of others. None of us come to it as the first. All of us are building on someone else's work all the way back originally to the work of Jesus. Our work should be his work. And thus we're striving to emulate what? His priorities, his methods, his habits, his teaching. Who are we attempting to include? What reality is our focus? Is it obvious to others that we're less concerned with the physical mundane matters of life and we're more concerned with the deeper spiritual truths that Jesus has to offer? It's just a question we all have to answer. Again, Individually, we answer it, but as a group too, how much are we emulating Jesus in who we include and what we teach?